Welcome to the Life & Law Podcast. I'm Heather Mulder, former AmLaw 100 partner turned lawyer coach who, just five years into my legal career, found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. But I was determined not to become yet another lawyer burnout statistic. And so I redefined success on my own terms, enabling me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I now help purpose-driven lawyers confidently retake control of their careers and create their next level of success and impact. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Hello, hello. This is Heather Mulder, host of the Life in Law Podcast, and I'm excited to have you here with me today. So today's topic is a little bit different, and we're going to get into billing, I guess you could say, and our rates and how we charge. And the reason why I think it's important to talk about this is because it comes up so often in my conversations with clients. So for example, early on in my last round of Mastermind, this came up as an issue when it came to collections, where one of my participants was having trouble with two of his clients on not paying on time and consistently having to go after him. And he was just not feeling motivated enough to pick up the phone and make, you know, make that call, which is hard to say, hey, what's going on? Why haven't you paid me? You know, this particular person was a solo practitioner. And so he really needed to be the one to do it. I know that at bigger law firms, you guys often have people who can do it for you. But I will also say that in my experience in big law, it often goes over better if you, the attorney with the relationship, is the one picking up the phone. So I think this issue comes up more than just with solo practitioners. And the reason why I say this is, A, I've been there too, and it's uncomfortable and it's not fun. But B, what was interesting about this is he brought this up and it became a bigger issue. And we continued to talk about it. Because all of the participants in the mastermind kind of said, yeah, this sucks. I hate having to make that phone call. And what I figured out after this coming up a couple of times and going through it with them is it wasn't just that they didn't like picking up the phone to ask for the money. That is not the most comfortable thing. But it, it really started from the beginning. And it went a lot deeper than that. So it started with not setting clear expectations as to what the billing would be as to what the hourly rate really was, kind of glossing over it. Yes, maybe it was in writing somewhere, but they didn't sit down and actually talk to new clients as part of their intake process with, you know, what their rates were, how they were going to charge, how it would look, what they expected uh, when it came to payment and how they would get paid. This was never done by any of them. And it was never done oftentimes because they felt kind of guilty or bad behind what they were actually charging on an hourly basis. So this is why we're getting into this. Now, obviously, this applies to every single private practice attorney out there. I think it's also interesting to hear if you're in-house because you are going to hire attorneys externally from time to time, if not all or a lot of the time. And I think 
it's really important for you to understand where the attorneys you're working with that you hire are coming from and to actually listen to this to give you some ideas on how to start the conversation if they don't start it with you because I find that things go much more smoothly. Everybody's much happier if you do set this up from the beginning, right? So hopefully today's conversation will also help you with some ideas on how to do that and also give you a a greater depth of understanding. Now, I'm I'm sure you are understanding to some point. And for those of you who were in private practice who are now in-house, you especially understand because you've been in in those shoes. But I just think that if we all step back for a second and think about this a little bit differently, then it makes for an easier conversation. And it is certainly a conversation that needs to be had from the get-go and a conversation that needs to be continually had as you work together, okay? So the other thing I would say for those of you who are private practice out there is you really need to think about, are you charging what you think you're worth? Like truly, are you? Because where is this discomfort coming from. It's incredibly important to understand that so that you can actually deal with those deeper issues before you ever, you know, talk to your clients about your rates. Before you ever go there, you need to be fully behind what you're charging. Sometimes we don't feel like we are worth it. I mean, I know when I was practicing law, the firm would tell me, this is what we think your rate should be. And I don't really understand how they came up with this rate. I think they looked generally at what the so-called market was billing, and they had to rely on what other people claimed they were billing for that, and then they would tell me what that rate should be. And I can tell you, it was always too high, always for me, because people that were within my market often had these rates they said they had, but it wasn't actually what they were charging their clients or what they were being paid. Maybe they were billing it, but they were consistently writing off or giving discounts. So it wasn't a real rate. And I knew very clearly what my clients could and would be willing to pay. Now, I did not give a severely discounted rate, but the rate that the firm suggested really wasn't realistic within my market. It needed to be a little bit lower than that. So what I did is... I said, okay, that's fine if you want to list that as my general rate, but I have particular types of clients that I have a more sta- a different rate for. And so for each client, based on the type of work that I did and what the market, you know, what was realistic for that market, I set my rates. And so I kind of had a two-tiered rate. Um, certain work justified a higher rate, some work didn't, and it was very dependent on that. Another reason that I want you to really think about this as a private practice attorney is it's really hard to fully market, network, and sell, something we have been talking about recently, if you are not 100% behind what you charge for your services. You need to have this mindset that you're worth it so that you can get fully behind how you sell yourself. Because if you believe, yes, I'm helping people and I'm doing all these wonderful things for them, but you don't think what you're charging is correct, then you're still going to have a problem in fully going out there and selling, okay? So this also brings me to whether you should be billing by the hour or not. I personally believe that billing by the hour is problematic 
in many ways. I don't necessarily think it is going away 100%. I think it depends on what it is you do. It depends on how you monitor that billing, and it depends on how it affects you. I think some people are a lot better at billing hourly than others. It does sometimes tend to allow some who are, you know, judged uh, at the end of the year based on their billable hours to pad their hours and then overcharge. We all know that happens, and it especially happens when people are younger, um, when they're just learning, and also it still happens when people get more senior and to partners who are slow and who are under a lot of pressure to increase their billables. So it it very much depends on the circumstances, what you do, and what makes most sense. But I would say this, there are a lot of ways to bill and it doesn't necessarily have to be by the hour. And so some of what we're going to get into today as well is what are those other ways and might that make sense for you? Okay, so let's get behind what I like to call the legal money mindset, how we got here, and what we might be able to do about it. So first and foremost, think about your hourly rate. We keep upping it every year. As I said, I used to get at the beginning of each year kind of a here's what we think you should charge from my firm. And every year they went up. And by the time I was leaving, it was getting frankly quite ridiculous it was to a a point where I was like I I don't see how I can continue to provide value to my client with this rate I'm just gonna put it out there it was not worth it (laughs) and I didn't charge it for that reason so you know look at your hourly rate and we know that you know some charge it depends on whether you're in a, you know, small firm, big firm, whatever, but you get to a thousand an hour and more and much more with some people. Is it justified? Now, there's a lot of things that go into whether it's justified. I want you to get away from while I'm working the hours. Whether your rate is justified has nothing to do with how many hours you actually work. Okay. I want you to pull away from that. Whether it's justified, whether it's worthwhile, really is dependent on a couple of things. Number one, what area of law are you in? Are you in a really niched market where there's not a lot of people who do this and you have an incredible amount of expertise? Obviously, the rate can be higher then because there's just not a lot of people out there who do what you do. And so it justifies a higher rate. However, that is not the case for the vast majority of attorneys. The other thing I would say is some of it depends, obviously, on your experience level, right? How many years have you been practicing? And how much experience do you have in the particular area that you're working on? Does that justify it as well? Younger Attorneys who haven't been working as long can't justify as high of a rate as those who have been. But again, just because you've gained more experience also does not mean that the rate should automatically go up every single year. It doesn't work that way because at the end of the day, what really should determine the rate, the correct rate, is the value that you are providing to the client with the work that you are doing in that time period. 
And this is why I say you really want to start getting away from looking at it as I'm working X hours, I should get X amount per hour. Stop looking at it from an hourly basis and really step back and say, okay, in a day, how many hours do I usually do when it comes to this type of work for this type of client, the the typical day-to-day work that you do? And how much am I really charging for that work? And is it justified based on the value that I'm providing to that client? And when it comes to value, the value has nothing to do with how many hours you worked. (laughs) This is where we keep messing it up, okay? We think about, well, it should be based on the amount of hours I put in. Let me just be clear. There's very few industries out there who actually charge that way. Lawyers are one of the only ones who are still there. And we need to get away from this. We really need to get away from it because I think it's toxic to good client relationships. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't bill by the hour, but you do need to think about, well, okay, if I'm thinking about the type of work that I'm doing in a day, and then how many hours I'm putting into that work, is this justified if I look at it from that perspective based on the value that I'm giving to the client? So when I say value giving to the client, step back and really think about what you're doing for them. So there's the top line obvious value, the work that you're doing that they can't do themselves, or maybe they can, but they don't have enough people to be able to fully do it, or as experienced people, or whatever. And so you provide some top line obvious legal counseling, legal experience value to them for that work. So that's the what I mean by top line value. But go deeper than that. What other value does that give them? And so that value would be peace of mind, um, a ripple effect within the business. So obviously the work you do helps save them from, from future loss or pain or risk. So there's a risk mitigation factor there, right? And again, this somewhat depends on what you do. Are you a litigator? Are you a transactional attorney? Are you a tax attorney? Are you an employment lawyer? Are you a family lawyer? Are you, you know, there are all these things. Well, you have different things that you're saving them from. Business risks, personal risks. You are preventing things from going wrong, right? Or you're fixing a problem that could get worse. So what is that value, both legally, because obviously there are often legal implications, but also from a more business standpoint, or if you're not a business lawyer and you work one-to-one with individuals, from a personal standpoint. Also, if you're working for a business and you're providing some type of a business slash legal value that's not just the top line value, what's the ripple effect to the individuals you're actually working with as well, okay, to the officers of the company, whatever it is? So that's the value. There is a bigger picture value that you are providing to them through the work that you do. And you want to get really clear about that because that is going to help determine whether what you're actually charging is worth it. Now, after looking at it from that perspective, you also then want to look at what are you actually collecting on a regular basis? When you bill, do you collect everything that you actually billed for? 
and actually take a step back and did you actually bill for everything, for all work that was done? If you didn't bill for all of it, then you automatically know something's wrong. You're not billing appropriately because you've already top line given them some sort of discount, written some time off. Now, we all know that sometimes it relates to a specific individual, maybe a very low-level associate who has no experience, but you need to get them experience. So you let them go crazy and get in there and really learn, but you've got to write a certain portion of that off until they get to a certain level. That's not what I'm talking about here. That part, that's normal. You're going to do it, right? I'm talking about are you regularly writing time off before you ever bill it? And if so, what's going on? Why? If it's not in the scenario of somebody who's very low level or maybe new to this type of work and you know it's short term, then you need to look at why. Because that's a sign that you're not billing properly from the beginning, right? That the the rate is incorrect. You also want to look at what are your collections? Do you get clients who always ask for you to discount? Well, that means you're actual billing rate is really lower than you think. So perhaps for those clients, you need to rethink how you are charging them. And ask yourself, are you really even charging what you say your hourly rate is? Are you in one of those scenarios that I was in where the firm was putting forth this rate as though this was your rate, but 80% of the time you're not charging it? Now, there was a 20% time where I was charging that rate because the type of deals warranted it. It was a specific expertise that not a lot of people had, and the market for it, the rates were higher. But most of the time, no, I did not charge that. Okay, a quick note when you're looking at all of this. Be sure that you're super honest with yourself because it's not going to do you any good if you're not really, really honest about what are your typical write-offs. Are you even billing what your, you know, what your, um, putting in to the system in the first place who do you give discounts to who often gives you pushback and what's really going on there it's really easy for us to start to excuse it and say well it's situational but be on the lookout for patterns because in my experience there often are and sometimes this could mean that you're not working with the right people I'm just going to put that out there. Sometimes you're in an industry where the market just can't bear a certain going above a certain rate. And because of the firm that you're in, you really shouldn't be working with that type of client. And so that says something a little bit deeper about your marketing efforts and who you're going after that you may need to step up your game and change who you're marketing and really bring in different types of clients Or that you need to change firms to one that doesn't have the same type of pressures and allows you to bill in accordance with what that market will actually bear. So you need to be really honest with this. And it might turn up some answers you don't like. But let me just say that once you get the answers, you have honest, good information and can then start making better decisions for yourself. So do this so that you can do that because here's the thing. If you're not honest about it and you just keep going on kind of blind, eventually it's going to catch up with you. I've seen this happen to people. I don't want it to happen to you. Eventually your firm is going to come to you and say, hey, your collections aren't good enough. I've seen firms 
get rid of partners because they've decided that their practice area doesn't work for that firm. So it's better to understand that and be proactive about it from the outset, or at least from here on out, before you get pushed into a corner that you didn't expect and you don't know how to deal with, or you do know how to deal with it, but it's really difficult when backed into the corner, okay? So be super honest about this and start answering these questions as fully as you can. The other thing that I would note is it may point out that you need to have more than one rate. I certainly did, and I know a lot of people who do. Sometimes certain types of work justify different rates. So, you know, think about that. And maybe you have different buckets with different rates. It also may show you that you have certain type of work that could justify an alternative billing arrangement because it is more narrow in scope and there's certain specific work that you do continually over and over again. And maybe it makes sense to have a flat fee for that work or some type of a package rate for that. So I want you to start thinking more creatively in that area. Now, we all know that a lot more firms and a lot more lawyers are starting to do more flat fee um, and other alternative billing arrangements. And there are very, various ways to do this, right? So let's go through those really quickly and also talk about some of the objections that I often hear and why that may or may not be true kind of depending upon the circumstances. So we all know about capped fees, um, contingency-based work, and supposed flat fees. I do not think that lawyers tend to be as creative as they could be in this area. We kind of tend to think of, well, it's either contingency or it's not, and or I have a capped fee or a flat fee, and that's it. That's not really true. There are some other ways to do it. And you can be more creative, I think, than you believe, okay? So you could do a project-based billing where a specific type of project, which incorporates certain things that are very specific, you got to specifically contract for, right, is a particular price. And I see this in my clients who work with startups, Um and also some of my employment lawyer kind of transactional side clients who work with very specific issues that come up over and over and over again. So for example, I have a client who works with smaller companies and startups. And when they're first getting started and starting to grow, there are certain corporate documents that they need, right? And there are certain also employment policies that need to be put into place. And there's just, there's a package that could be put together that they have put together that helps them with the corporate side documents and the employment side documents. This is an easy package for them to put together because it's pretty straightforward. They just need to have an initial meeting with the client, ask some very specific questions. They have them fill out kind of some questionnaires and then they go and they put all of this together and it's a flat package fee for that work. And it's easy because there are no contingencies that could come up that really affect it, right? And so depending on the type of work you do, you might be able to find a way to package that kind of a thing in your area of expertise. I also see this come up with some of my employment lawyers who aren't litigators, but there are certain things that come up over and over again, and it's pretty straightforward for them. And so it's Really, some of this has to do with more policy issues that come up that are problematic, but have easier fixes and really revolve around 
not any litigation that comes up or risk management with respect to an individual, but hey, you don't have proper procedures and policies in place. So let's deal with that in addition to this other thing. And for the pro- policies and procedures that we need to put into place, we need to kind of do, you know, go in and do a kind of a, an analysis and look at what's going and then suggest and then come back and put those into place. And that is a package. So there are ways to do kind of package-based billing. I will say I kind of dabbled around in packaging um, towards the end of my legal career, and it wasn't easy to do because there were always things that could come up. But what I found as a finance attorney is that I could have some very basic packages for the very small deals that I did because occasionally I had clients that came in with really, really tiny deals. And what we agreed to is, all right, we'll do the initial draft of all documents and we will take, you know, um, a first round of comments for X price. And we had very specific variables around what we would and would not take in those comments. And so basically, it was very bare bones commenting that was allowed. And we spelled it out. And that worked because the other side usually didn't have very sophisticated counsel. They didn't want to pay for it. They didn't have the money for it. And they needed the lending facility. And everybody went in with eyes wide open as to what we would and would not do. And we were very specific. And the documentation was really pretty easy to put together. They were forms. They were smaller forms for these smaller deals. And so there wasn't a ton of time that was put into these packages. That worked. Now, I could not do package-based billing for the bigger deals that I more traditionally did. These other deals came up a couple of times a year. I did package-based billing for that, and it worked. When it came to the bigger ones, didn't work because there was always a massive back and forth. There were always issues that came up that we had to really think about um, so that we could incorporate kind of business, day-to-day business issues and day-to-day business procedures and how the the borrower did their business into the documentation that we never knew at the outset and did take a a massive amount of time sometimes. So sometimes package-based billing can work really well. Sometimes it really can't. And so no, you don't, you can't do everything, you know, via package-based billing, but that's okay. Or project-based billing, I guess you could say. The other thing that I've seen that you might want to consider is monthly billing. And having it a set rate per month. Now, I have seen this work incredibly well for some of my attorneys who have smaller to mid-sized companies that do not have GCs. And what they basically agree to do is they go into their clients maybe one time per week. And they spend the full day there and they act as their GC. And they kind of help them with whatever a GC would need to help them with. And it's a set rate for that. Now, I understand that most big firm attorneys can't do this, but also most big firm attorneys have general counsels that they're working with with their clients. But you might want to consider whether there is some type of work that you do more regularly on behalf of your client where you could come up with a monthly rate that gets paid and they come to you for whatever, you know, whatever they need during that month for that flat rate. Where you do need to be careful is you've got to be very careful around what the parameters are for that monthly billing. 
So the monthly billing would only cover very basic things that come up regularly that you know you can generally handle pretty easily so that you're not charging a rate that then they take advantage of and start, you know, bombarding you with other things that are not contemplated. The other thing I would say is the folks that I know who have done monthly billing, they charge that rate every month and it is paid every month regardless of how little or much work they do. So some months they're a little busier, right? Like I do have this client, he just goes into the client site one day per week and he acts as GC and so that does take him away from his other work. But And he's also, sometimes he's there for five hours or six hours, and sometimes he's there for 12 hours because he gets pulled into things. And so, you know, it all washes out at the end, but sometimes he's working more often, sometimes he's working less. The client pays it regardless, okay? So you might want to think about whether some type of monthly billing arrangement makes sense. But again, you've got to be really clear about what parameters that covers, So it wouldn't cover a new litigation matter. It wouldn't cover, you know, we're talking regular rote business things. Wouldn't cover, oh my God, we we found out we have a big um, risk management issue because we haven't been following the OSHA guidelines on something, right? So you need to think about, well, what is this business? What do they do on a regular basis? How could I help them? That would be under this monthly billing. And what would I accept from that? All right. So note that the monthly billing could also be considered subscription-based billing. You sometimes see it called that. And frankly, it doesn't necessarily have to be billed and paid monthly. It could be quarterly. It could be annually. Just note that, number one, you need to have very clear parameters. And number two, my other um, recommendation, if you go into a monthly or subscription-based billing model with anybody, limit the time period and tweak as you go. So one thing that I find with my clients who do this type of thing is they will usually do it for maybe like a six-month period. And then they look back and they see, okay, how much was it utilized? How much time did I actually spend, et cetera? And then they may need to adjust those rates up or down from there, okay? So you don't want to go into it and say forever, this is what it's going to be, because it's going to need to change. You're going to need to tweak it based on what they're asking for. And frankly, over time, there is something called inflation, and so sometimes you do need to raise those prices. So I don't recommend when you're not familiar with what you're doing and you're just getting started ever going over a six-month period in the beginning. I do think six months is a good starting point because it gives you enough time to really see what's going on. But if there is a bigger risk for you and you feel like, you know, six months is too long, start with three or four months. You need a couple of months to really figure it out. Um, So maybe you start with three months and then you go back and look and then you do another three months and then maybe you feel good enough to do a six month, right? And then maybe you do a year. I would never go beyond a year however, <laughs> because you you do need the opportunity to at least annually go back, look at it, reevaluate, tweak as needed, and also tweak for inflationary purposes as well. So one of the big objections that I hear a lot of times is, well, it's just impossible to do this type of thing in my line of work. And I really want to challenge you to rethink that. I think, yes, that may be the case for some of you, right? But I want you to start thinking a little more creatively. I want you to figure out, okay, 
What could technically be in a subscription or monthly billing? What could be on a project or package-based billing? What, you know, what could? Like challenge yourself to ask the question and really look. Because in my experience, no matter what kind of law you practice, you could probably find areas where you could do some sort of alternative billing arrangement. So look, I understand that sometimes it's really hard to do some sort of alternative billing arrangement. But the fact of the matter is there is a lot of pressure from clients to do this so that they can budget. So I challenge you to really get creative here and find ways to work with them. One of the objections I hear a lot is, well, it's it's so impossible because there are so many contingencies, because, you know, you never know what's going to come up. And this is especially the case for litigators. I hear this from litigators all the time. And then also from corporate attorneys who work on bigger type of deals where you never know what's going to come up and it things change all the time, right? Well, here's the deal that I would say to you. There, you know, the consulting world has been doing this. Once upon a time, they tried hourly billing too, but they no longer do that and they haven't for a long time. And trust me when I tell you, just as many contingencies come up. So if they can, I think we can figure out how to do it. And I personally believe that we're going to be pressured to do it more and more because they see that the other world, the the consulting world, they do it. And if they do it for these millions and millions of dollar projects, then why can't attorneys do it? Now, one of the biggest keys to this is you got to be able to do really great client management. Okay, client management is key with alternative billing arrangements. So what do I mean by this? You need to be very specific about what exactly they get through the arrangement and what is not covered. And then what happens? What do you do when something unexpected or uncovered, something that's not covered on the original arrangement does come up? You need to understand and and have a conversation with them. Well, first off, you need to figure it out yourself. What is and is not covered? And what would I do if something new came up that is obviously not covered? And then you need to have that conversation at the get-go with your client about all of these things. And yes, they need to be in writing. But what I find is lawyers are great when it comes to how they bill. They're great at putting it down in writing like we are with just about everything, right? But they don't have the conversations because they're tough conversations and we don't like to have them. But that is the only way to make these work. When I find that people lose a lot on these, it's because, number one, They didn't set clear expectations as to what was and was not covered from the get-go. And or number two, they didn't set clear expectations around what would happen if something unexpected or uncovered came up. And or number three, they just allowed stuff to kind of pile up that shouldn't be covered and didn't do or say anything about it. So that leads the client to expect that it is because they didn't hear anything, right? And then it leads the lawyer to not want to ever deal with it. And it keeps building, building, building. And so then they end up doing all this work without really getting paid for it. Or even worse, they bill for it separately 
on an hourly basis because clearly it's not covered per the written agreement, right? But they never warned their client and it kills the client relationship. You don't want that either, obviously. That's even worse because then they're either not going to pay and you still lose out and you probably have lost a client or they pay, but they never come back. You, you don't want to ruin a client relationship in that way. So the key here is to set the expectations from the get-go. All right. So hopefully this gives you some ideas of where you can go from here. Hopefully it also helps you get more clarity around what value do I bring? How do I justify what I am billing, regardless of whether billing through an alternative fee arrangement or through your hourly rate? And hopefully you've also gotten some ideas as to, well, you know what? I'm not fully behind what I charge, and that's where I'm kind of messing up when it comes to my client development. Because if you don't feel 100% comfortable with how you're charging, and you're not able to have these conversations with new clients from the get-go to let them know what to expect, what you bill, and feel good and comfortable with it, and then obviously stay with that throughout, you're going to have a trouble with building your business. That's part of the problem. I get a lot of people coming to me that I work with who don't like selling. And sometimes it really is around the sale of not wanting to make the sale, just being uncomfortable, not wanting to be pushy, etc. But I do find that sometimes it relates to how they bill and how uncomfortable it is and how they, they have these questions in the back of their mind that they don't even realize they have around whether they're worth it. So that's what this is about, making sure you feel like you're worth it so that you can go out there and not just do the best job possible for your clients, but get paid for it and get paid for it well, because you do deserve that. And then be able to go sell it to new clients too and grow your business. Okay, so if this is resonating with you at all, I got two things for you. Number one. If you are looking to build your business and you do not yet have the client development blueprint, I want you to be sure to go grab it. I will put it in the show notes. It is my five-step process that I used to build my business that I also teach to my clients, and it is going to help you grow your business consistently and in a very sustainable manner. Because you know what? What's the point if it's going to burn you out and you end up with clients you don't like and all of that? No, this is going to help you grow a values-based business with clients you actually enjoy working with while also leveraging your strengths in a way where it's more enjoyable so that client development doesn't feel like such a slog, like a necessary evil that you have to do, but is actually enjoyable. Number two, if you would like to take it to the next level and are interested in going all in on growing your business, I invite you to go check out my attorney business building mastermind Elevate. I will have a link to it in the show notes. As my client Jem, who did participate in the mastermind last year, said, if you're ready to do the work to get to the next level, join the mastermind. It will help you get there without losing yourself in the process. He actually increased his book of business by $200,000 and started a new side business, all as a result of joining the mastermind. So if that sounds like something that you would be interested in, definitely go check out Elevate. There will be a link in the show notes. Okay, that's it for today. I will see you next week. Bye for now. 
Thank you for listening to the Life and Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both Life and Law, including the Life and Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.